My message today is going to be on another one of those questions from God. And this question is really simple. God asks Ezekiel, Son of man, have you seen this? We're going to be looking at that this morning. Uh, I want to start with a, a little story. My apologies to teachers who may be present, my wife among them. I value and honor teachers more than you know. But this joke is about a high school teacher who was trying to teach on evolution and had a stubborn student in her class who believed in God. And she was getting a little frustrated with him, so she had him stand up. She said, Robert, stand up and go to the window. Now look outside. Do you see that tree out there? I said, yes. Look up above the tree. Do you see the sky? I said, yes. She said, do you see God up there in the sky? I said, no. I said, well, see, there is no God. Before he could sit down, another student in the class raised her hand and said, can, can I ask Robert a couple of questions? The teacher said, sure. I said, hey, Robert, do you see the teacher? I said, yes. Do you see her head? I said, yes. Do you see her brain? <laughs> I said, no. I guess it doesn't exist then. So, um, you know, guys, it's, it's easy to look and not see. Uh, Psalm 91, the heavens declare the glory. Uh, so, the, so Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. How can we look at the world and not see? And yet many do. And not just not see God, but not see what God is doing. Today we're going to focus on that a little bit as we look at Ezekiel chapter 47. Now this passage in Ezekiel 47 actually begins in chapter 40, verse 4. For those of you who are familiar with Ezekiel, God puts him through the ringer. This guy has visions and experiences that can only leave me saying, Lord, thank you, it was him, not me. But at one point near the end of the story of God's work with Ezekiel, he comes to Ezekiel and he says, Son of man, which is the way God addresses Ezekiel throughout, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your heart upon all that I'll show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare it, all that you see, to the house of Israel. And so God comes to Ezekiel and he says, Hey, Ezekiel, I'm going to show you something here. I want you to see with your eyes. I want you to see this. And I want you to hear what I'm telling you. And I want you to remember it. And I want you to tell it to others. And then God takes Ezekiel to a temple. Many scholars believe that this is a millennial temple. It has not yet been built. And for the next six full chapters, God has Ezekiel climbing 
up and down and over and around through this temple. They go around the walls, they go into the rooms, they go up, they go down. And he gives Ezekiel a measuring rod. And Ezekiel literally measures out the entire temple rod by rod, the thickness of the wall, the dimensions of the rooms, the length of the courtyards, the height of the rooftops has him wandering in and out and over and around and crawling and climbing for six full chapters. And at the end of this, in chapter 47, verse 1, we read, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee-deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist-deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord God. You spoke to Ezekiel, your servant, and charged him to see, and then showed him visions and wonders yet to be. Lord, this passage spans an almost incomprehensible length of time. You dealt with Ezekiel some thousand years before your son even came, some 3,000 years ago. And these events speak of things yet to come. Give us eyes, Lord, to see how this word is a word for us for today. May your Holy Spirit move in our hearts that we may see you and be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... I read this passage and, and, and a question jumps out at me. What was Ezekiel supposed to see? I remember when I was a, a baby Christian and I was reading through the Bible for, for the first time and in my early Christian life as I had a hunger for God's word and I was reading again and again and again and, and trying to absorb all I could of what God had revealed in his word. And 
from the very first time that I read this, I remember asking myself, what was he supposed to see? And as the years went on, and I realized that there were questions in the Bible that God asks, he's not just asking them of that person with whom he's dealing, or the people of that time. Those questions are there for us. They were there for me. And I was asking myself, what am I supposed to see here? Why did God do this to Ezekiel in the first place? And then why was it so significant that God saw fit to have Ezekiel see it and remember it and write it? Why was it so crucial that the Holy Spirit would move the heart of Ezekiel to write the very words of very God that would be preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit, not only for Israel a thousand years before Christ, but for us for today. And if Christ should tarry for believers a thousand years yet to be. Well, the first thing I notice in this passage is this is a brand new temple and it appears to have a plumbing problem already. Anybody ever, you know, build something and then you get the punch list, right, where, you know, it's built but then a switch doesn't work or a faucet leaks? Is there a, is there a plumbing problem in the new temple? I, I don't think so. Because the next thing I notice is that this water that's trickling out from the temple is unlike any water any human being has ever encountered before. It's trickling out from the altar and underneath the threshold and then trickling off towards the east. And if you are at all familiar with the geography of the promised land, towards the east is out towards the desert, towards the wilderness. And Ezekiel goes a thousand cubits out from the temple. Now, most scholars agree that the standard cubit was a measure from about the elbow to the tips of the fingers. It was about 18 inches, half a yard. So a thousand cubits is about 500 yards or about a third of a mile. That's not very far, is it? Each and every one of us in this room, even if we are struggling with, with ill health, we could walk a third of a mile, 500 yards. He goes about a third of a mile, a thousand cubits, away from the temple. And then God brings him through the trickle of water. And it's ankle deep. Just enough to, to wet his feet. And then, having crossed through the water, they go another thousand cubits, just another 500 yards, another third of a mile. And they cross through the water a second time. And somehow... In the space of just two-thirds of a mile, this trickle of water is now knee-deep. 
if the water is going out into the wilderness, how did it get so deep so fast? And God leads him another third of a mile, another thousand cubits, about 500 yards, and takes him back through the water again, and now it's waist deep. Any of you ever walked through water waist deep? Been in a creek or a pond or the ocean? Kind of hard, you know, you know, the water drags on your legs, you know. and Takes them another thousand cubits, 500 yards, third of a mile. And now the water is so deep, he can't touch bottom. And the river is so broad, he can't cross it. And he's swimming in it. Now, this is some crazy water. A trickle in the space of less than a mile and a half becomes ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and an enormous river. So deep that he can't reach bottom and so wide that he can't cross. And then the Lord brings him back and says, Son of man, have you seen this? Yeah, um, I've seen it. I don't understand it. You know, it's... As I started to wrestle with this passage... I started realizing that there are places in Scripture where water is water, and there are places where water is not water, and there are places where water is both water and not water. For example, there's places where water is water. When Moses and the Israelites are on the, the shores of the Red Sea, and they have to cross through, that's water in front of them that they've got to get through. When Joshua is on the banks of the Jordan and Israel is trying to cross into the promised land, that's water in front of them. When Jesus encountered the woman at the well and he was thirsty, there was water in that well and it was water. There are places in Scripture where water is absolutely not water. For example, in John uh, chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, Quick show of hands. We're in a little audience participation. Who believes in Jesus? Every hand went up. I don't see a wet shirt in the room. I've been in a lot of churches, people. I've preached years and I've met with thousands of Christians. I have never yet seen anybody who claimed to believe in Christ who had to walk around with a bucket in front of them 
because streams of water were pouring out of his heart and he was soaking everything that he came in contact with. Let me give you another place where water is absolutely not water. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Paul writes to the church, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having been cleansed, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present her to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then he says later, this is a profound mystery. But I'm speaking of Christ and the church. So husbands are to so love their wives as Christ so loved the church that we wash them with the water of the word in order to present them holy and blameless and without blemish. Now, obviously, Paul is not saying, husbands, you need to bathe your wives every day so they'll be holy. Same way we're supposed to bathe the church so that it will be spotless and without blemish. No, we're supposed to wash them with the water of the word. What we are doing right here, right now. So, in at least these two places... Water is used to talk of the Word of God, the presence of God, the outflowing Spirit of God, and the water is a metaphor. There's another place in the Bible where water is both water and not water at the very same time. In Exodus chapter 17, there's a story. Israel is in the desert and they're thirsty, and they're crying out for water. And Moses strikes a rock, and water gushes out. And later in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10, verse 4, Paul tells the believers there that all of the Israelites, he says, for all of Israel drank of the water in the wilderness and the spiritual rock that was Christ and the spiritual water that was Christ followed them. So the water that gushed from the rock in the wilderness was both water that they drank, and at the same time on some level, it was the spiritual presence of Christ. Well now, if we take this slightly bigger idea of water and we go back to Ezekiel's temple, the passage begins to make just a little bit more sense to me. There's something flowing out from the altar it's just a trickle. But it's enough that it leaves the temple itself and goes out into the barren wilderness. 
It has the form of water. But it's more than just water. It's the Spirit of God. The Word of God. The presence of God. Not staying trapped within the confines of the temple. Not limited to the altar. Where the wrath of God is satisfied and grace is made real. But it leaves the temple and goes out into the waste places. It's just a trickle. And Ezekiel is told, walk with me. He doesn't have to go far. He barely begins the journey. Takes a couple hundred steps. And all of a sudden, this little trickle of water is enough to cover his feet. Have any of you ever been in a really hot place and you dip your feet in cool running water? You know how delightful that feels? And then, having experienced that, God says, come on, let's go just a little further. Come on, keep walking. They go just a little further, a couple hundred more steps, and says, now let's go through this again, and now it's knee-deep. And guys, I have been in places, scorching heat, barren, dry, and when you walk through water that's knee-deep, it like cools your whole body. You can feel it like your hair tingling. Just come on, we're not done. Walk with me. A little further. And now it's waist deep. And when water starts to get waist deep, it gets a little bit scary. Because now you can't see your feet anymore. And you don't know if there might be little beasties lurking in the water getting ready to, to, to nibble on you. And you can't see if there's stuff hidden under the water that you might step on and stub your toe or trip over. Waist-deep water is a little harder to walk through. And it challenges us just a little more. God says, I'm not done. Come on. One more time. Let's take a little stroll. We're not going far. Now, get out into this water and get to the place where you have to swim, where your feet no longer touch the ground, and you're supported by the water, and you have to trust that you're going to float and not sink. I grew up on the ocean. I grew up on an island. Um, my folks l still live there half the year, and they live in Florida on the coast half the year, and I, I, I'm an ocean child at, at heart. I love getting out into the ocean and getting into the waves and floating in the waves and letting them lift me up and drop me down and lift me up and drop me down. And, man, the water, it, it, gets, it covers you. It gets in your mouth, you taste the salt, it gets in your nose, you smell the salt, it gets in your ears and, and changes how things sound. 
Ezekiel is following God. And at some point, he has to immerse himself in the Word of God, in the presence of God, in the Spirit of God, and give up control of himself. When you're in a flowing river and you don't touch bottom, that river can carry you anywhere. And it's so broad, he can't cross it. He is yielded up to the Spirit of God. And God brings him back and says, Son of man, have you seen this? And I begin to see it and I begin to get it. There's a vital connection in Scripture between seeing what God wants us to see and trusting him enough to obey him and follow him. God says, walk with me. And Ezekiel does. And God says, step into the water. And he does. And that's all God asks of him. Follow me. Now, pass through. Throughout Scripture, I see this incredible connection between seeing what God wants us to see and doing what God wants us to do, following him. For example, in Genesis chapter 13, God is dealing with Abraham, and he's brought him to the land of promise, and has him walk the length of the land, and then takes him to a hill. In chapter chapter 13, verse 5, he says, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your descendants to be their possession forever. But Abraham had to follow God to see that. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, when Moses had the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies, the Pharaoh's armies were closing in, Moses shouted out, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation that the Lord your God will work in your midst today. But then they had to follow him through the water to really see the salvation of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus. John's in prison. And they come to Jesus and they say, John is concerned. He wants to know, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one? And Jesus says, go and tell John what you see. The lame walk, the blind see. The demons are cast out. 
And when the disciples leave, Jesus turns to the crowd and he asks them the same question he asked Ezekiel 3,000 years earlier. Or, excuse me, 1,000 years earlier. Said, when you went out to see John in the wilderness, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in strange clothes, eating strange food? When you went out to see John in the wilderness, he asks again, what then did you expect to see? See, many of the people that Jesus was talking to at that very moment had been in the wilderness and had seen John baptizing. And Jesus is asking them, what did you see? Did you just see a man wearing strange clothes and eating strange food, dunking people in water? Or did you see a prophet of God proclaiming the truth of God and calling God's people? Come on. Walk with God away. Follow. I got... um. Four things to say about this, and, and, and I'll wrap it up. Uh, first of all, I want to give a word of clarification, just in case any of you are concerned that, that I'm preaching some strange heresy that says in order to be saved, we have to follow God and, and do something in order to see the salvation of the, God, of the Lord. Jesus says really clearly in John 20, 29, when... when um, the, when um, Thomas doubts and says, until I see, I won't believe. And Jesus says to him, you, you believe because you saw? Okay, great. But blessed are those who not seeing believe. See, Ezekiel didn't have to see the river the trickle become a flood in order to believe. The Israelites did not have to see the Red Sea part before they'd believe. In another place in the Bible, Jesus says, people seek after a sign. Unless they see, they won't believe. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. So let's get that clear at the outset. I'm not saying you have to see this miracle before you can believe. And I want to give a word of warning. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is addressing his disciples and he says, I've begun speaking to them in parables because seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear. So I'm going to speak in parables lest seeing they see with their eyes and hearing they hear with their ears. There were people in Jesus' day who saw him and saw the miracles and still did not believe. So seeing doesn't cause belief and seeing doesn't guarantee belief. 
but there's a promise in seeing. Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist says, Oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. God guarantees that if you both see and taste, see and experience, see and follow, you will know the goodness of the Lord. And finally, there's a word of exhortation. In John chapter 1, in two places, Jesus to the first disciples tells them, come and see. Come and see. But then the very next thing he says is, follow me. Here's what I think we're supposed to see out of this passage from Ezekiel. Here's what I think Ezekiel saw. And the reason that this has been preserved for us is such a vital passage of Scripture because, guys, there is nothing in this little book that is unnecessary. If, if you remember nothing else from today's message, please remember this. Out of the thousands of years that God's been dealing with humanity, the billions of people who have lived, and the infinite, uncounted, unfathomable number of encounters between God and his people, of words that have passed between God and his people, of experiences where God has been revealed as much as he's revealed every time we see the heavens, the stars, the trees. Out of all of that, this is all there is that God has thought necessary to preserve for life and for godliness. So there is not a single word in here that's unnecessary. Here's what I think is so important in that passage that God preserved it for us for today. We all want to see. I've never met a person who did not want to see. People came to Jesus and said, we want to see Jesus. The people who were closest to Jesus said, show us the Father. Jesus reveals himself in a billion ways every second. And seeing is inextricably connected to obeying and to following. And God's not calling us to go run marathons to prove our faith. He says, come walk with me just this far, a couple of steps. Now look around. Has your experience of me deepened in this journey? Now, 
Let's walk just a little bit further. And let's look around. How much deeper has your experience of me become? Now let's walk just a little further on. Are you at the point now where you're beginning to trust me so much that you no longer have to see where your feet are going? But you know that I'm not going to lead you into sharks. Now let's walk just a little further on. Are you ready to trust me enough to float? To be immersed? To be saturated? covered, upheld, uplifted, and carried where I want to bring you. It only takes the first step to go on that journey with God. No matter where you are with God in your journey, it only takes one more step to experience him just a little bit more, to grow just a little closer to him. That step that you're taking may be, for some of you, your very first step. There may be someone in here right now who has never taken that step of faith and says, you know what, Lord, I need you. I trust you. I want you. There may be some of you that next step you take is your last step before you step into eternity with him. God is saying, come on, let's go one step further and see how much more there is. And if you read the rest of that passage, you're going to notice one final thing. After he walks through the river is when God takes him back to the shore and says, now, look at everything you didn't see before. There are trees and villages and fishermen and trade and life, the wilderness is now a thriving delta full of the riches of life. But it took a little walk with God before he was ready to see that. Have you seen this? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, which sometimes challenges and sometimes convicts, but always encourages Lord, each and every one of us is capable of taking one step. Whether it's our first step, our tenth step, our thousandth step, our billionth step, our last step. Each and every one of us can take one step further with you. Give us willingness, Lord to walk in faith and open our eyes that we may see you revealed in our journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kind of a time of invitation, and uh, this time is for you. If uh, God has spoken to you through his word today, this is a dandy time to do something about that before the busyness of life comes in and snatches the moment away as we sing and pray. We need to hear from you. We need a word from you. 
No. 